are listening to the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. <laughs> hey folks, Justin here. Just a quick word before we dive into this week's episode featuring myself, Daniel, and Angelique. As we chat with Mr. Nigel Bennett, there's been a lot of you guys messaging me about this one, so I figured I'd get it out relatively quick before the mob comes from my head. If you guys didn't know, Daniel is a massive Forever Night fan, which you'll definitely be aware of by the end of this episode. It was a pleasure for all of us to get a chance to chat with Mr. Nigel Bennett, who you'll all probably know as Lacra. And I really don't have too much to say. The episode speaks for itself. I'll shut up. And if you're listening to this and feel so inclined, please leave us a review. It helps us wade through the endless algorithm of podcasts out there. So without further ado, here you go. Man is a predator, Nicholas, and we are the ultimate. <laughs> you will live longer than in your wildest dreams. You will see life begin and end and begin anew. I taught Nero the tune, and together we watched Rome burn. I rode with Charlemagne and taught Genghis Khan the lessons of war. All of these opportunities I have given you. A life never threatened by age or disease. You are a blessed man, Nicholas. The crusades you have endured will be but as a heartbeat in your lifetime. I shall repay you. Sanctuary of the Strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. (laughs) 
take us back in time to when you were young. You know, what were you into? Were you always a film fan? Did you like reading? What made you teach? When I was young, I think I did more reading than anything else. I used to get, uh, when I was very small in school, we had a sports day. <laughs> And I, I could run pretty fast. And the prize was always a book token. And that was that meant that most of the cost of the book was paid for. I really enjoyed reading. I enjoyed it a lot. Were your parents into the arts? Were you into the arts back then? Oh, my God, no. <laughs> my parents weren't. Uh, no, my parents are were, they're, they're both gone now. They were really, really ordinary working class people. My mother worked at a local factory making keys for doors, for locks. And my father was a kiln burner, which is a person who basically stands on the top of a huge oven in which are baking bricks. So he helped to make bricks and my mum helped to make keys. So how the hell did you get involved in acting then? I had a paper round. <laughs> it sounds like a cliche, but every kid had a paper round. And I my paper round was was rather long. I used to fantasize. There was a show on television called This Is Your Life. It was about famous people and would talk about their life and re-meet people who they'd met in their life. And I could move myself to tears and did just thinking about and pretending to be on This Is Your Life. And all these people saying how, oh, we remember you when you were in school and, and all that sort of thing. And I'd, I'd have tears running, running down. I was always a bit dramatic, I think. <laughs> What was your first acting gig? You caught the bug. What was it that did it that made you decide, yeah, this is for me? I didn't act when I was very small. I actually was the person who pulled the rope that opened the curtains in our school plays. So I was more in the, on the tech side. <laughs> <laughs> but what really started me off, I think, was we had, we had pantomimes in England. And we would go to Birmingham, which was the nearest big city, and we would we'd go to the panto. But we also... There was a local church group who did a Christmas show and I I went to see that with my parents and and I thought it was just hysterically funny and just sitting there thinking how are they doing it and then that's my wife coming in oh God. Oops, yeah. we're, we're, are we in trouble no 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 no, no. <laughs> don't worry it's all been approved oh, great <laughs> I think the thing that pushed me most of all was I have two older brothers and my eldest brother, who still lives in England, he was a school pantomime. And we went along to the pantomime and he came on, he was pretending to be the mayor of this whatever city. And he had this big sort of huge hat on. He was talking direct to the audience and he was chatting away and he was saying, and, and I've, I've, got, I've got the plans here. Just a minute, they're here. I, and he pretended he couldn't find them. And then he said, ah, I know where they are. They're at headquarters. And he took his hat off and there were the plan. And I thought that was the funniest thing I had ever seen in my life. I don't know if that answers your question, but in a way it does. You started out on the stage performing oh, yeah. before you even got to film. So I was just oh, curious. Yeah. Yeah. So which do you prefer? Do you prefer acting in film or are you more of a stage kind of performer? I think stage performance is more, it gives you more. 
because you create a whole character and there's a whole storyline. Film and television is made up of bits, but the simple fact is film and television pays an awful lot more than theatre does. <laughs> that sort of swayed me. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to film versus stage, is your approach any different when you're preparing for the role? No, I don't think so. You just have to talk a bit louder <laughs> if you're on stage. You know, you, you have to be heard by, and some of the theatres are, are huge, you know, the thousand seats and, and you have to reach everyone. Whereas on television, I can talk like this really, really quietly and be really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> he did it! I said, he did it! There's a microphone there, you see. <laughs> I was waiting on that. Nobody else could pull that off quite like you can. I was waiting for it. So for all the fans out there, there it went. You just got a taste of it. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Which do you prefer whenever you act? Do you prefer being a protagonist or more of an antagonist? Because you have a definite style. So like in Gotti, when technically you were the good guy, but you really weren't. You had a very adversarial approach to your character. So which do you prefer being? Good guy or bad guy? Well, I don't think it's about my preference. Uh, I just think that things have worked out that most of the stuff that I'm offered, although not so much now because I'm getting older, but most of the stuff that I was offered my heyday was was bad guys. I, I really enjoyed doing that because bad guys are the same, in a way they're the same as good guys, except that they're they're doing nasty things instead of nice things but there's always a reason for it there's always a reason there and finding the reason for bad guys is more interesting to me than finding reasons for good guys because i think good guys you know tend to be more predictable bad guys you're never quite sure what they're thinking and they also they're interesting characters i remember telling someone once that there is there isn't a single really evil person in the world who wakes up in the morning and thinks god i'm evil <laughs> they don't <laughs> They think it's just the way they are and it's just their normal life. And that's interesting. How did the jump from the stage to the screen happen? How did that first professional opportunity come about? Well, I I moved. uh, It wasn't the first professional opportunity, but I'm English and I moved to Canada. And suddenly they were much more interested in me on television. And of course, it pays more money (laughs) than, than stage. So for the most part, for several years, I was just doing television and film work then i accepted the offer of a season at the stratford festival and that was you know that was uh, three different plays three different characters uh, you're doing it for like six months was there a major difference from canada and britain in terms of theater the theater scene canada do- still doesn't have anything any equivalent to the west end of london mm. where there are many many theaters old and new and there are shows well there were until covid there are shows <laughs> on all the time and the attendance is massive there's nothing quite like that in in america yeah you've got broadway you've got you've got all that but in canada no it's 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 much it's much smaller yeah but the canadian tv scene was blowing up at that time i mean whenever you went there you could start the list of what i would call just like those late night late friday and saturday night tv series and even early sunday mornings Mm -hmm. and it's funny that now i'm drawing a blank other than the fact that you get shows like friday the 13th you get forever night you get cobra Sheena and Cobra with Michael Dudikoff, that Cobra for us action fans at home. That Canadian scene was just blowing up. Were you aware of that whenever you moved to Canada or was it just about, I'm moving to Canada. And then you just happened to see, (laughs) wow, there's a TV scene here. (laughs) 
Do you I have just, to make him talk like Gomer Pyle? No, I just, <laughs> because I, if I, he would have done it and he would scare people away. Because he would just <laughs> stare at him until they gave him the, which is probably what you did. You just stared at him until they gave you the job. But I was just curious as to if you were aware of that whenever you moved to Canada. I, I wasn't. No, I mean, it is it's it is really interesting because, uh, as I said, most of the work uh, that I did in, in England was on stage. And I came to Canada and I managed to get a job on stage, which was about six months of work. And then I was auditioning. Suddenly they were saying, uh, can you get the producer in, you know, <laughs> to, come, to come and see me? I don't know why. I don't know what I was doing. See, this is the problem. You know, I, I don't know why they liked me. I don't know what I was doing that made them like me. They just did. I think one of the things was my baby blue eyes. <laughs> uh, uh, you know that they i think they thought that uh, that no one with uh, with lovely blue eyes you know could ever be evil well yes you can <laughs> the solution presents itself yes yeah yeah so one of my earliest whenever you actually hit the screen you played der schlachter in friday the 13th the series yeah and so that was kind of whenever i had noticed you being that and then even further on as being the antagonist in a lot of shows, but yeah, you talk about, you know, being a bad guy with blue eyes, but there you go. Wait yeah. a minute, doesn't, uh, what's his face? God, why am I drawing a blank? Good Lord, he played Roy Batty and Blade Runner, Rucker Howard. Doesn't he have yes. blue eyes? I don't know, but I I was mistaken for him once on a plane. I could really? see that. How yeah. old did you play that out? Please tell me you played along with it. Yes, I did. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was sitting quite close to the front of the plane. This guy comes up and he's like, what? <gasps> Rutger Hauer, oh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. And he's shaking my hand and I'm thinking, uh, um, who's Rutger Hauer? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so I, I said, hi. <laughs> and he went back into the interview and sat down. And then, um, then when we, we were getting off the plane in Halifax, Nova Scotia, he, he grabbed me from behind and said, just a minute, just a minute. I really want my partner to meet you. And I said, Okay. <laughs> he brought his partner up and he turned to his partner and said, you see, it's Rutger Hauer. <laughs> and I said, hi. <laughs> Memories, man. And he said, yeah. can I have your autograph? And I said, yeah. <laughs> that guy That's still tells his kids about that. <laughs> something legal to be... Uh, to happen at any moment, <laughs> me impersonating Rutger Hauer. Well, you never know. I mean, you have a, you have impacted those people's lives forever, yeah. and and obviously for the positives. I mean, you know what? Your secret's safe with me. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, when you went in for the Forever Night audition, was it just your typical audition? Nothing stand out about it, and you just landed the role. There, there was some, yeah, there was something stand out about it. The uh, the guy who played Nick Knight, Geraint, I was actually living at that time in his house in Toronto, and because he was going off shooting. I can't remember what the series was, but it was a series in Vancouver. So he he allowed me to sublet his house for six, nine months, something like that. And and then when we were, when I was auditioning for uh, Forever Night, he was there, of course. And I, I'd already done the audition and two recall. And I thought, well, I don't know. <laughs> and then <laughs> And then they said, can you come in again? And I said, yes. 
<laughs> and 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 Gare was there. We read together for it. And I could not understand why they had taken so much time to decide who they wanted. Apparently, they weren't sure about my age, whether I was too old or too young or too whatever. They eventually said, yes, we want you. And that was four years, three years or four years of vampire. I spoke with James Perry. I was actually a couple years ago was trying to write a book, writing just a comprehensive forever night, <laughs> just a fan service book. Yeah. And uh, I was speaking with a bunch of the actors. So I actually spoke with Mr. Davies and uh, we chatted about the time on the show and stuff. And I spoke with James Perriott about them making the show and what was going on and how the first movie starring Rick Springfield. Oh yeah. Rick, it, the movie was called, so fans and friends listening along at home, the movie is called Nick Knight. And I, I got the DVD locked away in my storage closet while I'm unpacking. But it had Rick Springfield. I forget who the guy was that actually played LaCroix. And then why they just ended up doing a complete overhaul and then starting the TV show. Yeah. And going for that whole, um, that Highlander factor. Because if you watch Nick Knight, it's cool. I mean, you can see where they were going for. And a lot of the same actors are there. It's funny because John Capolis is in it as Skanky. And, uh, I mean, he's got that full Don Juan, you know, post-apocalyptic <laughs> Elvis thing going like turbo hard in that one. And then when the show rolls around, he really didn't have to do so much to transition back in. But, uh, yeah, so kids listening along at home, it's called the show is called Nick Knight. And it's basically, it's season one, episodes one and two, first night, are the same thing. They're just like an episodic reshoot of the Nick Knight film. Do you have any take or insight on why they did that recasting when you were there? No idea at all. I know that that we were the, I think, first uh, North American produced uh, vampire series. The one that you were talking about was shot in Luxembourg. So there were other vampire series, not series, but shows before we we came on the on the scene. It was exciting. It was exciting. I mean, and 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 ridiculous, <laughs> because I, I remember in, when we were we shot the first two episodes together, and we were being called at. at six o'clock in the evening and working all through the night and eight o'clock in the evening and working all through the night. And I, I said one time, well, what is, is this all going to be all night shoots? And Gare said, <laughs> it's called Nick Knight. Oh, no. <laughs> he is allergic, and, you know. And it was. I mean, we, we used to, we were called late, late afternoon and we finished in the small hours of the morning all the way through. Wow. Now, on the show, I noticed in certain, as the series would go on, and this probably, I'm sure it happens everywhere, but uh, you would start to notice that certain actors might even get behind the director's seat at some point and actually do their own shoots in the show as Mr. Davies. He did a couple, if I recall correctly. You did what nowadays would be normalized, but I mean, back then, dude. Really? You're going to have, other than Norman Bates, you really didn't see this kind of thing on TV. So you directed the show Francesca for yeah. Forever Night. Yeah. I mean, was that all you or was, or was it just, here's the script, film it. Did you have any input in that? Oh yeah. 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 And, and even if, even if you don't have any, any say in what's going to happen and how it's going to happen, you still leave your mark on it. I was lucky. I can't remember his name, but he was a really good friend of mine at the time who played the lead in that episode. And we started off with a, with a sort of montage of him putting on makeup 
and dressing as a woman. Now, this guy is over six feet tall. He's huge. You know, he's a big boy and a fine actor. And it was fascinating for me to sit there and, and look, at the, look at, at the monitor and see the transformation. It was, it was a simple transformation, but that's what vampirism is all about, isn't it? It's about a transformation from what, what we are, from normal, quote, unquote, people to what is it's what is essentially completely abnormal someone who lives by eating other people's blood you actually kept that episode grounded in more of the crime noir like that the series season one was more notable for being more of a noir film it was a cop by the numbers police procedural who just happened to be, happened to be a vampire yeah. you know oh, no. and it, just, it just happened to you know his best friend is also trying to kill him kind of thing that brought him across that whole thing but in the later series, it kind of started to go more like the Highlander thing, focusing on the backstory. But I appreciated how you brought it in to be more like a crime thriller, police procedural type thing, real psychological. Yeah. You also are an author and have written how many books? Oh, forgive me. I forgot. I read one of them and haven't been able to get a hold of the others. But yeah. you had a hand in your little vampire noir books yourself. Which ones yeah. were they? Oh, God. I can't remember what they're called now. Um, <laughs> but there are three of them. I know. Three of them. Okay. See, I'm getting old now and the memory fades. But uh, And that was really exciting. It was with uh, an authoress called P.N. Elrod, who uh, has written quite a few pieces in that genre it was an equal share of of the workload because there are a lot of lot of people who might work on things uh television things and then say yes i wrote a book and it's actually been ghostwritten by someone else well these books were not and we would meet up in toronto for a weekend at a hotel we would we would uh, work out the entire plot of the book. Once we'd done that, we could start and we, we would discuss it and we would change things as, as happens. But the very first book, the first, God, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> was it um, Keeper of the King? Keeper no. of the King, thank you. Was that it? The, uh, the very first sort of 10 pages of the book I wrote on the Saturday night between the Saturday and the Sunday that we were spending the weekend working on the book. And it appeared in the book just about unchanged. It, it was a really, really interesting, not experiment, experience. They're good reads. I mean, I like them. The pacing in them is good. It is what you would expect. One of the great courses say you can't judge a book by its cover. I grew up in the 80s, so you darn well are going to judge a movie by the box art that you see in the video store. So yes, of course, I see a book that, got a dude that looks like LaCroix, only he's wearing a fedora, and it looks like some kind of 30s Prohibition-era gangster thing, but it's LaCroix, <laughs> so it's got to be vampires. Like, yes, I'm going to buy the book. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, they're a good read, so anybody listening at home, if you feel like dabbling in that, pick it up. It's called Keeper of the King. Yeah. Just look him up. You'll find him on eBay. And his father's son, and what was the other one called? I can't remember. Keeper uh, of the King, his father's son, and something else. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> It's called something else. <laughs> Siege Perilous. Siege Perilous. Yes. God. Great title. Oh, you should see these covers, man. <laughs> it's like Lucien Lacroix, the novel. Oh, I'm going to have to get those. <laughs> Speaking of, Nigel, for Lacroix, did you draw on any other character inspirations or vampires for Lacroix himself? I was always a fan of, oh, God, I can't remember his name. 
talking now. It's there, there were, I was a fan of vampire films, and there was one person in particular who uh, who played uh, was always Dracula, and they were they just were fascinating, fascinating. I watched I watched as many as I could, but I noticed quite soon that they the subject matter started to change from being about about the life the problems the advantages of being able to of being not being able to die of uh, doing everything at night and sleeping through the day and and living on blood and being able to kind of hypnotize people so you can take their blood that was that was really interesting for me because it's it's about an outsider who most people think isn't an outsider and who can also hypnotize people who think he's an outsider into thinking that he isn't an outsider. So it was all that that I was playing around in. Right. I was showing up, my son, he is, how old is my son? He's been around for a while, 17 years. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. he had never actually, he's, I'm a horror nut, so, but I can't like watch a whole lot of stuff with him because he's a youngin. So every October we try to, I'd pick like the cream of the crop stuff for him mm. to watch. He's known about how Forever Night is my favorite show. He's grown up with it, but he'd never actually seen Dracula or any real, you know, vampire flicks. Yeah. And so yeah. other than seeing Forever Night. And so this Halloween, we uh, sat down and watched Dracula. I've been on a vampire kick anyway, but he had never seen the original Bela Lugosi Dracula. And watching it, he even noticed there were similarities in Forever Night. He was like, hey, they do that in Forever Night. They show the light beam across the eyes. All right. So that was some really cool film tricks when we watched that. And uh, they even pull it a little bit in the Coppola, Bram Stoker's okay. Dracula. Did a lot of the cool practical things they did. But like some of the tricks that you would see in that, watching that again to refresh my memory, like, oh, so that's why they did that. That's that's really cool. To, so, so was it, were you thinking of Christopher Lee or? Yeah. Christopher Lee. And who was, who was the other guy who was always with him and um, who was the good guy? Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing. Mm. They were the classic. Cream of the crop. Yes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I do have to jump the gun a little bit because some of you people might be getting bored knowing that I'm just sitting here about to burst <laughs> out of my skin because I will hammer you all evening with <laughs> useless forever night questions and trivia. <laughs> <laughs> but for those keeping score and playing along at home, I haven't completely fallen off the wagon. I've kept on track. Y'all do realize he was in X-Men, the animated series. Do you remember the Dark Phoenix saga? He was Mastermind. So for you younger ones, maybe closer in the millennial line than us Gen Xers, you do have somebody who bridged the gap and was an X-Men. So there you go. So what was it like? Do you prefer now? Do you still do voice acting, as a matter of fact? I should go ahead and ask. You do voice work. No, I don't. No, no. Would you or somebody ask? Oh, yeah. Ha ha. Got you. You'll remember that. Now I was curious to you did the anime. Was it just one of those that popped up? Hey, do some voice work. And you were like, okay. Or I mean, it's a paycheck. It was it like Winston with Ghostbusters. You know, if there's a steady paycheck. I'll do whatever you say. But how did that come about? Well, at the time, I was um, involved with a lady who was not my wife. <laughs> Her name was Louise Gold, and she was one of the directors of... Um, she did a lot of voice work and also directed voice work. And so, yeah, I did a couple of little bits, but it's something that it's, I've never really, really caught on. Voice work, and, and it can be really rewarding because it's so quick. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, if you're good at it, you walk in, bang, it's done. 
you walk out and it's a full day's pay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and if you're doing two different series, you get paid twice. And the top uh, voice people are often doing three or four different series at the same time. And they deserve it. I mean, my God, some of the work is amazing. We've talked to a few of them. I mean, they even have their, they had their studio in their closet. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. And uh, so it's fun. most of the time in my old house that I was at, even before I had the Max Hedrick background, be sitting in a closet. It was funny. Every time we do an episode, somebody pop up, you'd see them. Are you in a closet? In a closet? Yes, I'm in the closet. <laughs> and, but it was great because we finally talked to Kyle Abair and he was in a closet. <laughs> and I was like, hey, you're in a closet. He's like, yeah, man, it's the best place to do your vocal work. Look, I can sit in my closet, get all my work done. And I was like, see, see everyone. Yeah. If you ever think about doing voice acting, you really should because you have got that vocal delivery. Wow. And I mean, seriously, you put a couple of blankets up in your closet, grab a <laughs> microphone and a laptop. I, I mean, you're right. You can get paid full day's work. Just sit there and yeah. groan yeah. into the microphone. Pretend I, I, you're the night crawler and just do that. <laughs> I, I, I've done a couple of bits and I do use my closet here, um, but I, do, I don't put blankets up or anything because I just use the clothes mm-hmm. and the clothes dampen the sound. If only this could have been yeah. like last year to see my closet because that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> not to uh back up on forever night again i know i know but i keep going it's been 30 years damn near nigel since the show ended but obviously you're still getting hounded about it from people like us what do you think that it is about forever night that just stuck around with people that was special about it i have no idea um, <laughs> <laughs> when we started we we were contra- contracted for one season but we all wanted to do three and the reason we wanted to do three seasons is that that puts you over the 60 episode mark and that means that it will be um it will be reshown on other on other outlets so um that's that was the aim of of the producers and we did we did God, six over sixty in the first in the first year, which was which was great, and it, we were lucky because it was at the time just when America Online was in its infancy, mm-hmm. uh, and being able to, I, I remember um, secretaries coming in with piles of paper and saying, well, "What's that?" And he said, "It's it's responses from on the computer." There were hundreds. <laughs> you, know, you got those early scene fans going yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, which was stunning uh, to me and stunning to the producers because the producers suddenly realized yes we've got something here <laughs> we were just lucky that it that was the time you know i mean if if we'd done it well if we'd done it uh, uh, six months earlier there wouldn't have been that that spread among people not as much anyway right uh, so you know it's it's partly luck and partly good judgment and and um it was fun you know i mean we all got on really really well together and it was just it was great it wasn't work (laughs) (laughs) right it wasn't like work i see that you taught acting before going full-time with it so what would the first lesson of acting be from nigel bennett if i'm your student day one there's no such thing as wrong there's only different there is no such thing as wrong if ever an acting teacher turns to someone and says no 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 what you're doing is wrong Ah, no (laughs) what you're doing may not be what i want you to do but it's not wrong it's just 
different. Right. Have you taught since then? Is that something that you're interested no, in? No, 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 no. My wife, uh, she teaches and, and is excellent at it. She teaches young people and mostly, and uh, she has infinite patience amazing amounts of energy because it does it does take energy to do it and you know i'm full of admiration for her it's just like wow what's keeping you busy now as far as act because i mean i anybody could look on an imdb but i want to hear from you i mean like what do you enjoy doing right now as far as that because you obviously you got the bug you're not going to stop <laughs> my ambition is to die on stage <laughs> <laughs> it's like rick flair only doing like something from shakespeare yeah. <laughs> you imagine Ric Flair doing Shakespeare? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to jump on you. So yeah, what keeps you going now? What What do you like? What going. shows are you doing? Um, I still do um, some television work. Uh, I don't do as much. I don't want to do as much as I used to do. Uh, it's It's hard work. It, it really is. I remember one one day and night in Toronto uh, where I. Uh, I performed in three different television shows in the same night. So I did, I was called in the afternoon for forever night. And I finished that at about six o'clock and they put me in a car and took me to another set. And, and I did that. And then they put me in another car and took me to another set. And then I went home, and went to bed, but that was three different shows um, all in the same, same day, which is rare. It's rare, but it happens. Oh, or at least it happened. You know, I think things have changed a lot in the business. But now you can just basically just pick and choose. So, so pretty much now you only do one if you really want to. Yeah. Yeah. You worked with Del Toro recently. How was he on the set of The Shape of Water? What was his uh, style? Uh, he is he is the loveliest man. He is the most talented director. I just had the best time on that show, even speaking Russian. <laughs> God, he's just so talented. And he's nice. <laughs> you know, that's this. I mean, it was I, the amount of work I did. It was I think it was all six days altogether that was all and we got on really well at the end of the six days i I'd, I'd finished and i was in my winnebago and, and an asm uh, well no an ad came along and knocked on the door and said uh, guillermo wants to see you on set now and he's like oh what have we done we missed something what yeah <laughs> so i go along there and there's guillermo sitting in his chair and he turns to it just all the crew are standing there all of them and he said this <laughs> and proceeded to to sing my praises and say goodbye and then there's this huge round of applause afterwards and he didn't have to do that you know he didn't he's just a real real lovely guy you can feel yeah please spoil it uh, don't worry i won't i won't tell anybody none of us we won't tell anybody so he's been teasing at the mountains of mad for a while now i would kill to see you in a Lovecraft flick. You're going to be in the Mountains of Madness? I don't know about the Mountains of Madness, so I have no idea. Ah, okay. Well, okay. That's, there we that's go. Fine. Play it, Coy. Play it, Coy. I was, <laughs> supposed, I was supposed to be in the one. Um, it's kind of set in, almost in a circus. It, it may not have been released. Anyway, I was supposed to be on that, and then, then the days didn't work out, so it's... Mm. Uh, 
So to date, Nigel, what what has been your most challenging role? What what role has kept you up the most at night? Oh Lord, I really don't know. Um, <laughs> no, that's, I really don't. I, that's the answer that I would expect to hear. I love it. I, I really don't know. I, I it gets harder. The older you get, it the harder it gets. Your memory starts to be a little less reliable, and you know you ache a bit more <laughs> when you get up in the morning. Forever night was a highlight. Working with Guillermo was a highlight. I've been immensely lucky. Have you ever thought about going back to the stage or whatever? Last time I spoke with Mr. Davies, and this, God, two years ago, and uh, I mean, <laughs> dude, head shaved, grew the beard. I mean, he was either going to be a Viking or he was going to play the part of Mark Antony because he was doing a stage show. Mark, It was uh, Mark Antony and uh, Cleopatra. Yeah. So, I mean, have you ever thought about going back to the stage and just doing stuff? Well, I just, um, yes, absolutely. And I, um, I live in Stratford, Ontario, and that's the home of the Stratford Festival, which is the biggest theater uh, festival in Canada and maybe anywhere. And yeah, I did six years uh, doing that. Looks as if I might be doing it again um, in the coming season. <laughs> wow. We hadn't agreed on it yet, but they've they've approached me, so uh, we'll see. What's the one role that you would want to play? I like asking this with you know actors, actresses whenever I get to chat with you know because sometimes you just you find yourself. I mean, you yourself be like, oh my god, if that's one more vampire, I'm gonna puke. <laughs> but I'm just curious. Like, it doesn't matter. There's no wrong answer. I'm just curious. What role? would you want to play like you could say optimus prime that's cool but what is like the one role that you would love to do on stage it would be lear king lear okay oh, okay my first thought yeah wow. thank you on television there's a series called succession that's on at the moment that i haven't watched it oh oh it is good it is. Really, and the the lead actor who plays this sort of patriarch of this family and of this company, this multi million dollar company. That's that's the role that I'd like to play, and I can't remember his name now. It's terrible, but yeah, he's he's cold, calculating, hard assed man, and he's not ashamed of it. He keeps everyone in line. Some way, he keeps everyone in line, whether it's the nice way or the naughty way. He is. <laughs> He does, is King Lear your favorite play? No, no. Um, oh, I've never favorite play. I mean, God, there are a lot of plays. <laughs> There's a lot of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in Shakespeare, no, I think Midsummer Night's Dream is mm. my favorite in Shakespeare. Okay. It's a lovely, it's a lovely, it's a cuddly, warm play. You know, it makes you feel ah, <laughs> which I like. Um, as for the others, I mean, my God, I couldn't possibly choose. There are just so many, so many lovely plays by so many incredibly talented authors. What's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? Yeah. What's just, yeah, your favorite flick? What's the one? I see you already had one that popped up in your brain yeah. as soon as I asked. I'm just curious. I, what is it? I, I shouldn't really tell anyone this, but my favorite movie is Love Actually. That's such a sweet movie. <laughs> <laughs> When I when it first came out, I was I was single, you know, and I would buy a bottle of very expensive red wine at Christmas, and I would sit there and drink the expensive red wine and watch Love Actually and sob. Ooh, we have so much in common right now. <laughs> My wife won't let, me play, you won't let me play it anymore. I've got the. I've got the <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have a bottle of wine 
watch relationships explode, have an ugly cry. It's a great Christmas. The most serious one is Lawrence of Arabia. It was one of the first, oh my God, one of the first films I ever saw in a, in a movie house when I was very young. And there is a scene there. It's where the one of them has been separated from the rest. And it's this massive, flat, steaming hot desert. And suddenly, and, and they've done the, uh, the heat thing, you know, where the heat makes everything a bit wobbly. And you see this shape and you think, what on earth, what on earth? And it's, it's these two. They thought they, they were dead. They thought they were bound to be dead. And they aren't. And what had happened was one young boy had run back to get his friend. And it's, it's just the most amazing shot. The most, I mean, ah, oh, amazing stuff. Lovely. You get somebody like Lawrence of Arabia stuff. Mine's Transformers, the animated flick. From the <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not ashamed. I just embrace it. That's it, a good it answer, too. What it is. Well, I mean, thank you. It, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, there is no wrong answer. You're correct. You're right. I'm not saying you're here. You're like, Lawrence of Arabia. Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm like, I watched that X-Men cartoon too. (laughs) Movie watching is a very sensory experience. You've got your, you know, your sounds and your sights and everything like that. But what's your favorite thing to snack on while you're watching a movie just to make that whole experience complete candy (laughs) any candy (laughs) any candy i'm with you (laughs) not a popcorn person me neither it's okay but nah (laughs) unless it's can't some kind of candied popcorn like caramel or something you know yeah yeah lovely I went through a phase. I mean, I'm, I'm like you. Sometimes I just take a thing of jelly bellies and just dump them out there and sit there and sort out all the colors. Actually, I did this while watching Forever Night. So I'm either a diehard fan or prepping to be some kind of sick strangle murderer. But yeah, I would sit there and divide <laughs> them up by color and type because I didn't want to have the jelly beans mixing and stuff. And yeah, I went through a kick like that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so since the lockdown started nigel have you have you seen any movies recent movies that have stood out to you or television shows well we have um we have a really good television it's a roku uh, and there's <laughs> lots of lots of stuff that um that comes on there um and that's where uh, we watch succession and there are films there are series um, bosch anyone see bosch me and my son just I didn't sorry I didn't mean to scream I feel like I feel like I'm shouting like I got these damn head cans on my son and I actually watched that uh, yeah. we finished it up a couple months ago it, that was interesting that I, was, I, really, was cool. I really liked it I liked his uh, I liked his work I love that first season man that was it just it was so cool because it was that it just, just do the usual yes yes neo-noir yes yes gritty crime right. drama but it, it had a feel like Michael Mann or Soderbergh Mm. That especially that first season did, and Titus Welliver. I mean, he he really played that part good. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's cool you mentioned that because yeah, my son and I were watching it, and just seeing what Bosch and then Jay Edgar see what they would do in the series. It's like, oh hell, <laughs> Jerry Edgar, he ain't wearing a suit today. Somebody's gonna get killed. <laughs> dead giveaway. <laughs> Not wearing a suit. You're dead. <laughs> We're not going to keep you all evening here, Nigel, I guess, to wrap things up. Do you have anything on the horizon? I just did a little bit of work, a series called, I can't remember, <laughs> a series called, a series called, I'll look it up. This is terrible. <laughs> I'm just working on this. Please. In Vancouver, 
and I can't remember the damn name of it. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's it's a Netflix production. I get killed. Oh, yeah, you're, 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 I've oh. seen this before. You'll be back. Yeah, yeah no yeah. such thing. You're not yeah, fooling I've, us. I've seen this show before. You'll be back. If I may, if if I could get a hold of everybody, I still have never given up on that the book idea. I have all my notes from everyone else. I mean, would you be open to me picking your brain again about Forever Night? Just certain memories and stuff you would have of the series. If that, if the opportunity comes back up, if everybody else feels like doing it, would you be okay if just out of the blue, Justin got a hold of you for me about doing it? Yeah. Fine. <laughs> You're going to remember you said that too. I remember you I said that. I have one final question. I said what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hell, I got the list here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Angelique, please. No, no, no. Just one final question. And it, it is about Forever Night. But in, in the, the grand opinion of, of Monsieur Lacroix, was Nick Knight just a whiny baby? Yes, he was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All he needed to do was to grow up. <laughs> Stiffen his spine, and everything would have been okay. But no, but no. no. <laughs> oh no, he couldn't do that, could he? No. <laughs> this has made my life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, you so. Yeah, this is that is serious. That just has made my life. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> for this only thing. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Nigel. It's been great talking to you guys. Thank you. Yeah, so like much. look. So if fun. anything comes up or just you just want to get on and just shoot the shit please yeah i mean you could sit in my spot but uh you're you're more than welcome to come back on like this is oh, okay. you will have the seat of the highest of be like you john Irwin, and peter cullen i just y'all sit on like the same pair of we can do a love actually watch along <laughs> i've never seen it so i'm game <laughs> actually oh it's lovely never seen that, it you oh i mean come seriously i'm such a wimp <laughs> when, if and when you see it i cry I it. every time i see optimus prime die okay huh? i mean yeah. I, the thing i paid full price for these tickets and went with my son again to the theater and there he dies I'm, oh god <laughs> <laughs> it happens i can have a good Christ. okay <laughs> Anyway, man, I'm sorry. I will keep rambling on. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure, you. Nigel. Thank you. Seriously. Thank all of you. Thank you. You have a good night now. I will try. Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.